You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, I'm Gino Borges, curator of the Journey to Impact podcast series. Joining us today is Natasha and Alex Lamb. Natasha is the managing partner and co-founder of Arjuna Capital. Natasha was also one of the Bloomberg's 50 most influential people who defined global business in 2017. Alex is co-founder and managing partner at New Summit Investments and also was co-founder and prior president of Building a Sustainable Investment Community, also known as BASIC. Welcome, Natasha and Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. For sure. It's uh, great. I'm really uh, feel fortunate that Trip Bard introduced us. And um, I get this is second or third time I've had a chance to uh, interview and feel into a couple's journey to impact. And I really look forward to it. And I'm guessing at some point there became a time where you two realized like, wow, we should do this together in some capacity. And so I'm wondering when that moment was of togetherness. But then at the same time, I noticed that there is sort of an individuality component to your togetherness as well. So you're in the sort of this dialectic between doing things together, but you also have your own endeavors. Can, can you sort of flesh that first part out, like when that origin of togetherness began, and then what does it currently look like today, both your togetherness and sort of the separate routes that you're also taking? And I hope, you know that you're going to heavily edit this. So it looks like we have incredible <laughs> unity in our version of, of, of that question. <laughs> yeah. Our version of the past. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I'm um, to have Natasha start. Oh, okay. So I, I, you know, there was a dark side moment for Alex. <laughs> and I was going to ask him if he wanted to tell this story or if he wanted me to. Well, I would have gone a completely different way already. <laughs> The togetherness started in college. That was not the dark side. Um, we, you know, we moved out to California. Alex was going to go to law school. And I had discovered this magical land of something called sustainable business, which at the time on the East Coast wasn't even in the vernacular. And so while I was dragging Alex to sustainability conferences and, you know, selling organic mattresses in Berkeley, California... He was working um, basically for the evil empire, Dunning, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a big, you know, um, San Francisco law firm, international law firm, international law firm, yeah, as a you know a legal gopher, and um, and you tell them what happened on that on that day. Well, so, you know, I had this contrast of going to these wonderful conferences. I think the one we went to that weekend was the Lojas conference. Uh, we were driving around in uh, hybrid uh, cars, which at the time was not really a thing. Uh, and thinking about a brighter future where business could actually make the world a better place. And, uh, and then, you know, going back to Gibson Dunn on Monday and, 
you know, deep in the bowels of the copy room, uh, shredding documents that outlined uh, cancer pockets in the middle of the country. Of course, I won't talk about what, what I was looking at, but it was like, this was just horrible and nothing I wanted to be part of. Um, and certainly I didn't think that I was going to become that type of lawyer. Uh, but it was certainly more inspiring to see what entrepreneurs were doing, what people were doing in the world of business, um, you know, to uh, solve some of our greatest issues through through the market. Yeah. But, but at the time, Alex came home and was like, this is awful. And I took the opportunity to say, hey, don't go to law school. <laughs> it's a bad idea. Um, and uh, we had discovered this sustainable business school, uh, actually the first in the country called Bainbridge Graduate Institute, which um, was up in Bainbridge Island in Washington State. And I had, had been wanting to go there um, and I took the, the opportunity to say, hey, let's go together. And that was really the beginning of the, the journey of togetherness um, and our sustainability coupledom. Nice. And so did you follow through with the legal career or no? You, you, called, it, you, you called it off after the paper shredding moment. I, I, called, I, I called it off. I called yeah. it off, yeah. Because how many happy lawyers do you know? There might there oh, might be a few, but Poquito. Yeah, very small. Very small. Uh yeah, but that was an that was an unbelievable experience. You know, we decided yeah. to go to Bambridge um sort of sight on scene. Uh and a good family friend actually knew the co-founders of the school and um, you know who had been a mentor for me and said, and you know, he had done his MBA at MIT and said, you know, if I were gonna do it today. I would either get an MBA from Sloan or I'd go, get it from Bainbridge Graduate Institute because you know, mm. of the way they were looking at business. Uh, and so Natasha and I boarded a seaplane in Seattle and flew up to British Columbia where the school had a, um, a retreat uh, where they would bring incoming students. And I was, you know, the, 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 what was amazing about Bainbridge, and this was probably the fourth, we were the fourth cohort. So the school had only been around for a few years. Uh, and the talent that they were attracting, you know, is really one of the first or the first uh, business program to integrate sustainability it was remarkable. So, you know, we were, um, you know, we were a couple of years out of college, but uh, we also had the benefit of having, you know, uh, not just a few professors, but a class. I mean, we were the youngest folks in the class. Most of the folks were mid-career, um, mm -hmm. had been in business, had done incredible things in business already. Uh, very few people who are kind of right out of college. Yeah, I was 22. Yeah. Wow. Nice. And so it was. It was. It was really. It was really something. Uh, so curious, what island did you fly to on the seaplane for the retreat? Cortez Island. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite islands. Look, and I even have this. I even have this right behind me. This is the uh, uh, up in BC and the wild. I'm showing a picture right now of the uh, landscape. And I mean, this is shot near, near Cortez Island. Mm. It's a magical place. It is so magical. In fact, it's so magical that, uh, you know, this is probably a little, maybe may a little too intimate for a podcast, but what the heck, it's where my child was conceived at was Cortez Island. <laughs> That's all right. Our first was conceived at Esalen. So oh uh, yeah, well, very similar places. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar. <laughs> what was also amazing about Bainbridge is that, you know, the co-founders, Gifford and Lilith Pinchot, 
um, had been early members of, of SVN, Social Venture Network, yeah. called Social Venture Cir Circle, which are, you know, these incredible entrepreneurs in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those folks, the leaders in that community, um, you know, would come through the program, you know, every, every intensive weekend. And so, you know, sometimes I affectionately refer to it as SVN University, you know, it's like getting a, an MBA and actually the, that group and, you know, SVN has sort of come out of the threshold, uh, this group called threshold. Uh, and they wanted to do three things. They wanted to create a business network, which became, uh, SVN. They wanted to create a network for, um, uh, business students, which became net impact and Mark Albion started that. Uh, and the third thing they wanted to do was create a, a business school. And so this was sort of the third part of that, of that group and that lineage. And, uh, and so, you know, I'd really highly suggest that folks, you know, who are advising or thinking about advising people or thinking about going to business school themselves, think about that program. It's now part of Presidio, which uh, Bainbridge had helped uh, sort of along the way uh, and, they, and they were able to join forces. And so now, now it's the Presidio program. I see. So I'm guessing the retreat was held at Hollyhock then. It was close to Hollyhock. It was uh, just just across the bay. Nice. And they had their own. They had their own um, spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a member of the Threshold Foundation, and I mean that's definitely one of the storylines. And Threshold was the outgrowth of um, uh, the Social Venture Network. And I mean Joel Solomon's a really good dear friend of mine. Um, AC, AC as well. And gosh, it's so exciting to think. And then so you get done. You're one of the youngest people there. Um, you get exposed to all this sort of this raw impact energy. Uh, some, some people who've been already pressed in the flesh and been banged up in the impact world already. And then you're like, where are we going to find our place? And, you know, and like, where do we go from here? So, I mean, what ended up happening as after you left there? Well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of tee it up and then I think Natasha can, can take it, uh, from there. So I think a lot of credit goes to actually Liva Pinchot, who, um, you know, we were, we were, we were interested in finance, but we didn't at the time think that we were going to go into investing. We weren't sure what we were going to do yet. Mm -hmm. We thought maybe we were going to start a business. Um, we lived in Boston. At oh, the time. We were going to start the office common, which is today. Um, what's uh, it called? Yeah. Yeah. That work bar. We work. We work. We work. We, we were going to start. We work. We invented. We work, which is now a thing. <laughs> well, we, had a, we had a slightly different model, but it was very close. Um, yeah. And so that was our sort of capstone. We didn't do that. But uh, John Bavaria, who had founded Trillium Asset Management, mm -hmm. you know, was a very good friend of uh, the Pin Shows and was a change agent in residence for the weekend. Um, and Libba, who is just this kind of um, perfect matchmaker decided that she was going to put Natasha's resume under Joan's pillow, uh, that night. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And then I, and then I stopped Joan Bavaria, who was really, you know, the, um, she was really the grandmother of socially responsible investing. We had a death in the family at the time and we we're moving back to Boston. And so having met Joan um, and, you know, basically stalked her until she gave me a job. Um, I went to work uh, at Trillium, uh, which is really where I got, you know, my start in SRI and learned about 
um, investing and, you know, uh, cut my teeth in that and, uh, and activism, shareholder activism as well. And uh, unfortunately, Joan uh, died far too early. She had ovarian cancer uh, and uh, it was really, you know, a, a, a huge loss. And then uh, at, the, at the same time that I was at Trillium, Alex was working for... For KLD. Uh, so I, I ended up going to work for Peter Kinder, who I think in a lot of ways, as Joan was sort of the, uh, you know, one of the grandmothers of SRI, uh, Peter uh, Kinder and his wife, Amy Domini, uh, were sort of, you know, the, the founding parents of ESG uh, through through KLD. You know, KLD was the first company to, uh, you know, provide ESG, environmental, social, and governance research for investors. And then they created an index uh, company uh, out of that. Uh, or actually, I think it was reversed. I think they their idea was to create an index and they had to produce the research for the index and ended up selling the, the research, which really allowed for then, you know, other firms to be able to offer uh, you know, both screen screening for their clients, you know, where you kind of screen out the bad actors, classic SRI, uh, and then, you know, then the build of, of ESG. But it was the first ESG data house. And then you went to work for TrueCost, which did, you know, environmental footprinting of companies. Yeah. And then you went yeah. to Ernst and Young. Um, yeah. And- working for, working for Peter though, was really, really amazing. He was, he was quite a leader. He's still a good friend of ours. Uh, and, you know, I really like to have sort of, and I, and I realized this early in my career, I really like to have sort of one foot in research, uh, and one foot in the market. Uh, I get very antsy if I'm, if I'm doing too much of either. Uh, and so I think Peter helped me realize that, you know, he was kind of a, as a, as a, uh, a leader, kind of a coach and, uh, you know, him and, and Tom Koo, who we worked with there sort of coached me into this position. Uh, at KLD, where you know I had a little bit more of a of a marketing focus, uh, so I was I was splitting my time between research and marketing, and uh, you know, sort of you know early in one's career, sort of lucky things come along, uh, and I ended up leading a project we we did with Newsweek magazine to create the first uh, sustainability ranking, kind of like a, a you know the S and P five hundred, but screened. Uh, for uh, how you know sustainable the companies are, uh, it was a, a cover a cover story uh, that ended up running for about uh, five years. Uh, and it was just a tremendous experience. We had hired a uh, an outside party to work with us on some of some of the calculation around how you how you quantify uh, environmental footprint, uh, true cost, uh, and shortly after uh, you know. KLD was purchased by Risk Metrics, which is now MSCI, which is where that team resides. Uh, you know, Risk Metrics was a larger publicly traded company. And they were like, okay, well, you can either do research or you can do marketing. So you kind of have to pick. And I was like, well, I, I need my I need my in-between. And so TrueCost and I were able to, to find who I had been working with then for about a year, uh, you know, found the same, uh, the same understanding. So I was at TrueCost for, for a bit of time. They're now part of S&P. Uh, Again, an amazing forward-looking company, very entrepreneurial, uh, you know, doing something that had never been done before uh, with how they were able to quantify, uh, you know, corporate, corporate emissions. Uh, and then I spent a few years at Ernst & Young in their, in their climate change and sustainability practice. When I left Bainbridge, what I really wanted to do 
was uh, private market impact investing. You know, that's what I found to be the most compelling when I was there. Uh, you know, uh, but it just didn't really exist at the time. You know, there was SJF uh, and maybe you know a couple other funds, but even the term impact investing um, hadn't really been coined. Uh, and so, you know, if you fast forward, this was probably you know, seven or so years later, uh, that field was starting to really emerge, that private market impact space. Uh, so I ended up uh, leaving Ernst & Young to co-found the strategy that, you know, we, um, that, that, that I, then I manage now, uh, you know, because the space had, had fully evolved at that point. We can get more into that. Yeah. And, and Natasha, how does, how does Arjuna Capital's founding parallel into this? Like where, like, it seems like I'm guessing at a similar, a similar arc, similar trajectory, you were also fleshing out your own uh, idea of what might be possible as well. Yeah. I think Alex and I actually had a very similar vision. Um, I, you know, I had been at Trillium, uh, working in research and equity analysis, um, you know, some portfolio management, and uh, and then shareholder activism. Uh, but I also, you know, was the desk for years. If there was a private market opportunity, it would fall on my desk, and I would do the diligence. And had wanted to start a private market fund, and so you know, after Joan died, um, I kind of stuck it out for a couple more years. And then ended up in 2013 co-founding Arjuna Capital um, with one of my colleagues uh, at Trillium, uh, Farnham Brown, who had been the, the chief strategist and um, a prior colleague, Adam Sychek, who had been the chief investment officer and co-CEO for a short time. And in starting Arjuna, the goal was really to create a one-stop shop for impact investing across asset classes. And I hate that term, um, but you know, what we wanted to do was to create kind of best in class, you know, ESG, stock, bond, public and private market offerings for our clients. And so there was a point where, you know, I had started Arjuna um, and Alex um, was, you know, leaving, want, leaving Ernst & Young and uh, we came together on this private market venture, which um, ultimately became New Summit Investments. So has there been a time where, um, of course, it's all, all trending now. And I mean, there's a fair amount of, you know, probably relative to the larger capital markets, it's still a, uh, it's still a sliver in a, in a, you know, in a, a relative to the whole. But is there a moment where you guys were realizing like, Oh my gosh, is this thing ever going to get off the ground? Uh, like, it's like, yeah, we're excited about it, but the warrant is just always on us to have to explain ourselves. And it just sort of gets tiring <laughs> out of the warrant. And now, and now I would say, you know, the warrant's not on us. Like, now we get questions like, how do we do this rather than why are you doing that? And so that's a much different energetic space to be in. And like, it's easy to get out of bed for that. But it's very difficult to get out of bed if you're constantly being questioned about the warrant for your product or your service. So just around, you know, this journey, can, can you take me to those moments of like, are we doing the right thing uh, where maybe self mistrust maybe seeped in where you start looking around to see what else might be part of your journey that didn't involve sustainable finance? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
we've had an interesting journey because it we when we started in sustainable investing, it was before it went mainstream. And where we are now is that, you know, everybody and their brother can deliver an ESG solution. And so it's been such an interesting arc to watch. And I was just talking with my business partner, Farnham, who has been in this space for 30 years. And he was saying when he got into it 30 years ago, he thought, oh, I'm late to the party. And of course, he was so early. And, you know, it's really been the last 10 years where, um, it, where it's increased so dramatically. And, you know, and I know for myself, and I still feel this today, there was always this um, drive to prove the thesis, right? I mean, we went to business school for sustainable business and we always had to make the business case. This is why you would, why you would operate your business this way. It's better for the environment. It's better for people and it's better for the bottom line. And it's been the same journey on um, how do you deliver uh, a competitive uh, investment return? Right, where uh, all you know, everybody that was in traditional investing would poo poo the discipline and say you're giving up return, blah blah blah. And as you know, as our journey has evolved, so too has the research that has disproved that. Um, and you know, but I always felt this real personal drive that it was so important, like like outperforming the market was job one. Yeah, because if you're huge weight on your shoulders, because if you're not doing that, then you've you've failed in your your um your in in your mission and your thesis, and you even just failed yourself. You failed everyone in the market. Yeah, so I I, I felt that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm feel lucky and happy to say we have you know our strategies have outperformed, <laughs> and you know, there's luck and skill that goes into that uh, and timing, but. Um, that's no that does not seem to be the conversation anymore right and and even this last year with the pandemic um where ESG strategies really had an edge it proved the resiliency of the strategy you know you tend to invest in companies that are better managed they're more profitable they have less debt um they're solving you know problems to our sustainability challenges and um and and they're they're you know, through this risky period, they they held up better, um, and you know, also fossil fuel free. So when fossil fuels were you know falling off the cliff, um, so yeah, we're just in a very different place. You know, and, and I would just go back to your question. Also, you know, you know, I I do feel incredibly blessed to, you know, in maybe you know midway through my career, the people I've gotten to work with in this space. Uh, I feel like almost every day. I've been happy with what I've been doing. And I remember actually when we chose to go to a sustainable business school, a family member said, well, you should go to a traditional business school because aren't you going to limit your options? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to limit working for, for people I don't want to work for. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> so those are good Those are good options to limit. Uh, so it's been... We had good... We have, Alex and I had... We're, we're blessed with very good timing, I think, getting into mm -hmm. this space, getting into this field, being early... Uh, and then, you know, sort of being able to catch that wave of it growing um, and doing what we want to do uh, in our lives that we, you know, we fundamentally enjoy the work. 
So let's peel back the, you know, the social scientific talk of ESGs and sustainability and looking at the lens of returns and categories and buckets, but, and then like our skill sets that we need to have in order to play this game to some extent, but let's go back to the inspiration for using these skills in the way. Can you take me through um, your life, whether it was the way you were raised or some indelible moment in your life to realize like, wow, it almost feels silly to be in a field that would be detached from X, Y, and Z, for instance. Like, was it a childhood moment? Was it like, you know, I mean, for me in particular, it's like every time I'm in the natural world, um, I'm extremely just, involuntarily recharged. Like I don't have to meditate. I don't have to do, I don't even have to try, uh, you know, and one of the, so that's why I'm really involved in climate, uh, for instance. So, so, I mean, it's really sort of this personal affair. I'm also been, you know, since I was a young kid, I was sort of had this Holden Caulfield um, I, I feel to me where I was always thinking that life was a little bit phony um, culture at large was a little bit phony and I always had a difficult time connecting. So that's why I was really interested in like community resiliency and community connectivity. And so this ends up becoming the outgrowth of these personal experiences. Like what I'm working on just all feels to blur together with who I am as a human. And so if we can reverse back out of the, you know, the shop talk and where does sort of the personal come into this that actually grows into the shop talk mm. or is the source of the shop talk or is it just or is it just a career right uh you know i mean some people separate their two i can't do that i fall asleep if i do that yeah yeah i mean i think i think for me you know thinking about what i modeled as a how I was going to be in the world. You know, I think, I think growing up watching my father who was a veterinarian uh, and a healer, you know, and our family always sort of affectionately referred to him as Dr. Doolittle. I mean, he really had an incredible connection with animals. Uh, and there's a sort of empathy and altruism when you're a healer like that. Uh, and I think, I think growing up and watching that, that, that imprinted on me that whatever I did, it was going to be something that involved purpose. Uh, and it just, I, I don't think that I could wake up. I don't think I could get out of bed if I had to just go move a widget. Uh, it would make no sense to me. Uh, and so, you know, growing up, when I thought about what I was going to be when I grew up, it was, it was something along those lines of, of healing. Uh, and I think that that's ingrained in sustainability and impact uh it's a systems view of you know it's it's baked into the world's word sustainability which arguably is overused or it's uh, you know it's it's a cliche at this point but it's um you know how do you sustain the host uh and so you know i think that's i think that's a big part for for me of, of, of sort of where i ended up and how i was attracted to this natasha yeah, I mean, it, I've always had kind of a, a drive to uh, to make things. I want to make things better. I want. I I see change as something. Some people see change as something that's scary, right? Like make America great again. We need to go back 
to how it was. I actually see this sort of long arc of progress as very necessary and positive uh, in our human evolution and development, um, sort of post-evolution. And so as a kid, um, I just, oh, I just, I always had this drive that like things needed to be just and fair and right. And, uh, we moved from, you know, I was, I was, uh, where we live now, which is on the North coast of Boston, um, is where I was born and we moved in. And so, you know, this very affluent town of Marblehead, Massachusetts, uh, self-proclaimed like yachting capital of the world. And we moved from there when I was little up to a blueberry farm uh, in Down East Maine and, uh, and to, the, to Washington County, which is the poorest county in Maine. And, you know, when I was there, both, you know, growing up completely in nature in this rural environment, um, and also my mom, who um, had studied music and then, you know, dropped out of music school, uh, ended up going back to college when we were up there at the University of Maine, Machias, um, and studied, um, you know, environmental uh, literacy and uh, English. Mm. And she was going to become an environmental lawyer, actually. And it's, it's um, unfortunately, the, the end game for folks like that as they work at Gibson, Dunn and & Crutcher and defend companies that, you know, uh, whose products lead to cancer in the middle of the country. Like, <laughs> Like Alex's story. gets sued, but gets done. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) so anyway, so, you know, being there when I was a kid, you know, I thought, well, um, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor so I can help people. And I want to be an author so that I have a voice. Um, and you know, I, hopefully I am helping people in my work and I, and I do feel like I have a voice, um, as an investor advocate at the same time my mom had been a victim of domestic violence um, from my father who she divorced when I was two and who just passed this year. Um, And so there had always been this, um, you know, kind of drive of gen, you know, being aware of gender and power dynamics. And so, you know, as my career evolved, um, you know, and working, working in Boston and starting to have children and, and seeing that um, the gender barriers that I was starting to hit up against, right? Asking for more work flexibility was seen as a lack of commitment. Um, I couldn't, you know, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't make it work in the way that I wanted to live a balanced life where I could be a good, a good the best mother that I could be and the best worker that I could be. Because my you know, my work ethic has never been in question. I grew up on a blueberry farm in Maine. I was raking blueberries at like, you know, age 10 <laughs> to buy my school clothes. Um, but like I wanted both. And so, you know, in, even in starting Arjuna, it was, it was really because I hit up against a, a gender barrier and I knew I needed to do something different and took that risk um, in, in starting Arjuna and getting that flexibility. And so that has carried forward in my work. I've done a lot of work on gender lens investing. I've had a big campaign on both racial and gender pay equity with Fortune 500 companies, getting them to disclose the, their pay gaps and work to close them. Um, and all of that sort of derives from you know, the awareness of, of gender early in my life 
um, and, and wanting, and, and then having had the privilege of starting uh, my own firm and then wanting to pay it forward and, and hopefully make it easier for others. So I noticed that um, I noticed that the inequality or the equity piece is a is, was part or is part of your um, of your strategy and and your interest. Can you take me a little bit through uh, that? I'm always just personally impressed with it because uh, a part of that involves confronting power, um, and I mean power usually doesn't give up power voluntarily. Um, it will tend to pretend to first ignore you and pretend it doesn't uh, hear you. And then if, and if, you, and if you keep poking at the bear, eventually it tries to swat um, and see if it can just swat away what, what is bothering it. And it's just, it, it takes a certain, um, a certain character, uh, a certain type of drive. And um, yeah, so I've always been impressed with it because it's not me, uh, it, you know, and so I've really always been enamored. I mean, I one of our podcasts was with a fellow Bostonian uh, uh, as well with uh, Gita Ayer, mm -hmm. and uh, she was teaching and sharing her stories. And, and like to her, it's second nature. It's like, how can I not do this? It's like, sure. Yeah. I mean, people, yeah. Dan Snyder, the Redskins. Yeah. Will he pick up my phone call the first time I call? No. But if I'm there 10 years later, keep pounding, you know, stuff starts happening. Uh, and so um, can you take me a little bit through like, and you sort of touched on it, but there's one thing to be passionate about it, but there's another, you can be passionate about things that don't confront power. And so what I'm guessing, what I'm getting at is I like to hear how you sort of play that out and personally, and because um, it probably would be easier not to do it seemingly at some level, but then at another level, maybe you almost can't even stop yourself because you're compelled to do it. <laughs> and, and I'll just, and I'll just interject it before Natasha answers that, which is one of the things I just so admire about her is how fearless she is in confronting power. Uh, you know, there's no shine without friction and, you know, uh, she often quotes you know, the famous Gandhi quote, which, which you referenced, you know, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. I think you quote that. <laughs> I don't quote that. <laughs> All right. A little, a little bit of projection, but, um, but I really see that in you, right? I mean, you are, you, you exemplify that model. Thank you. Um, so I, I feel compelled. Uh, so you're right about that. And I, I do think that the understanding power dynamics from a young age has compelled me not to fall into uh, a place of complicity where I don't, uh, where I'm not able to express my own power um, and where I want to be able to lift the barriers so others can express their power. And, you know, even in starting Arjuna, that was, you know, that was for me kind of taking power in a situation where. I didn't have any, you know, I, I, um, I had golden handcuffs. I needed, you know, I needed, I needed the salary so that I could support, you know, my family and my children and what am I going to do? And I think for so many people, um, there aren't that many choices. You just, you know, you have to kind of keep doing what you're doing, um, unless you're really willing to take a risk, which can be very scary. And so, you know, the power dynamic that I face in the, in the 
activism that I do as an investor um, is is such that like I, you know, Alex is right. I don't feel fear. I don't feel fear in confronting power. Um, but it does require an immense amount of persistence. Mm-hmm. And that is um that is something that you just you just can't go you know go to bat once and strike out and think okay well I'm just going to you know take my my ball and go home or my bat and go home yeah um you just have to keep doing it um and so that you know if if I were to say kind of what has been this you know the the key ingredient to um, confronting power in a successful way it's being persistent and not letting um, you know any that that kind of you know swatting away or you know well you know never mind it's just it's staying there it's standing there strong in your position um, and and when something you know doesn't go like you want it to go you're like okay that's fine now now what can I what's the next best thing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep coming back to it. So, Natasha, you've fleshed out what your sort of your platform's aims are. You've you've integrated your own personal um, longings and preferences. Alex, you've done something similar in terms of the healing, and you've started this uh, arm called you know Summit Adventures. Um, new or, Summit. I'm, I'm sorry, I, New Summit Investments. Can you talk about sort of the relationship there? Um, I know it, but uh, based on our previous conversations, but I think it's really sort of a really healthy dynamic that was both a response to the market and also a response to what who you guys are at, at, as people and, and, and your own essence. And so I think that's really helpful for people who are trying to find their, their way in the space. And you provide a nice opportunity for somebody who sees, wow, Here's a couple have both their exterior platforms, but their interior worlds and they're manifesting them out there. But yet there is a symbiotic relationship between the two platforms. And can you sort of just in its essence, give us a thumbnail sketch of how that manifested and why it's important. Hmm. So, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, So Arjuna Capital is a wealth management shop. And when Alex wanted to, you know, to start kind of a private market um, practice, uh, which is we did not yet have, uh, we were able to partner. And so New Summit is essentially um, the private market platform for Arjuna, but then also for other uh, investment advisory firms. We really built the model with, with Arjuna, you know, so... Um, Arjuna had the sort of same problem that a lot of advisors have, which is their clients would love, you know, they're in public equities or uh, public debt, uh, but would love to be in private private markets. And private markets are a really great place to play if you have $100 million and can hire a consultant. Uh, otherwise, it's really not your game to, to play. And so, you know, there are ways to uh, I, I'm not going to say democratize because we're still talking about people who who have quite a few zeros uh, in their bank account, um, but a way to broaden the base of capital that has access to this space. You know, innovation typically comes from the private markets, um, and the impact space is so important in our ecosystem for the innovations that we're going to see end up find their way finding their way into into the public markets, and so. 
you know, um, it was a pretty, it was a basic solution for, for their clients. We create a fund of funds. Uh, you know, you pull that capital. I'm sure you know about this model well. Uh, and then, you know, where you would potentially have to deploy $10 million or more to get the kind of diversification that you can get uh, by writing a $250,000 check into a single vehicle. Um, and we sort of perfected that model for Arjuna. And then we ended up working with other RIAs to be able to offer that solution to registered investment advisors to, to their clients. So today we work with about um, a little over a dozen uh, and, uh, and we hope to double that uh, this year. But I think just maybe to get more to the essence of your question, um, we, we're, we're both collaborating and we have our own sandboxes. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, within our relationship, a really healthy place because, you know, it's funny, we can be, um, you know, quarreling over who's doing the dishes and who's making dinner and, you know, just like everybody else. Um, but when it comes to the, to our work relationship, um, we're really on game. Like we we're we're both very supportive of each other. And, um, and I think both of our success in our work has been because of the support of each other. Right. And so, um, that kind of stronger together piece and then, um, but we're not just like, we're not in each other's way at work, right? When we do come together to collaborate, it's because, you know, I'm supporting Alex with something with New Summit or he's, you know, helping advise me uh, with something with Arjuna. And then we kind of go back to our respective sandboxes and 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 where we have more creative license and can be and can be ourselves. And we have our own teams in each in each um, in each corner. You know, I think Natasha and I also, and we've been talking about this since um, you know before business school. You know, I think both of us have an entrepreneurial drive and a real uh, vision for the kind of organization or organizations that we want to build. You know, that are uh, that have you know, high standards, but are also very humanistic. Uh, and, you know, we really love being able to kind of create that, that, um, that ideal work environment. And, you know, we hope that it's an ideal work environment as, as um, that our team would say the same thing. And as we grow, we can create that. Uh, but, you know, we, we focus a lot on making sure, and especially, I think it's especially important for any couple that works together, that it's a safe environment, right? Uh, and that we really make sure that we work through that. Uh, anything that we have going on between us can't come into the office, uh, you know, has to be a safe environment. It's, it's not, it's not that different from raising children. Uh, not that we would ever see, you know, our <laughs> partners and our colleagues, uh, in that hierarchical way, but yeah. it's how do you create a safe environment, uh, where people can flourish? I think culture is incredibly important to us having, you know, had this, uh, just, unbelievable cultural experience at Bainbridge and in graduate school, you know, starting with Cortez Island and basically going to this like sustainability summer camp. It felt like every time we came together uh, as a school and, you know, really focusing on leadership and personal development and um, having everyone's voice in the room that, you know, and then going to work in Boston which, you know, as we said, it was, it was the, that's, that's the outgrowth of the sustainable investing uh, industry, but it's also Boston finance and super conservative and 
old boys club, right? So um, even at progressive firms and having hit up against that myself, um, understanding, wow, what, you know, what's the workplace that we want to create? What are the lives that we want to create? How do we want to impact the people around us? And trying to be as conscious as possible um, when it comes to those pieces. Mm. Natasha and Alex Lamb, thank you so much. I want to end on that summary. That was a beautiful sort of summary statement of you, your endeavors, and the culture that you're trying to create, not just for people that you uh, hire and work with, but um, I get a feeling that it also rubs off on those concentric circles of culture that are that stand close to you guys as well. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.